Welcome to Jam Session on Ringer Dish, brought to you by AT&T, reminding you that when it comes to wireless networks, just okay is not okay. Welcome to Jam Session from Sundance. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Amanda, how's your, your Sundance going so far? You've been here for two days. It is. It's my first time at Sundance. Me as well, though I've been to Park City before, though not in winter. I have never been to Park City before. I have to say, I, I have not historically been a, a mountain or winter person, as you know, <laughs> except weirdly, I realized once I got here for when I went to college, I went to college in New Hampshire, which is kind of like this minus the spectacular mountains. Yeah. And I've realized I've basically reverted back to college, which is just there's snow. Yeah. And I'm just eating bad food at weird times. And there are like a lot of people that I kind of know, like I run into on the street, like, oh, hey, maybe I'll see you later. You know, shout out to Pizza and Noodles where we had dinner at midnight last night. (laughs) Yes, we did. It was glorious. I really, really enjoyed my, um, sorry, it's called Main Street Pizza and Noodle. I don't want to get it wrong. Okay. I really enjoyed my uh, beef barley soup and garlic knots. So. I enjoyed my midnight pepperoni pizza. It was just great stuff. It was also like hopping at midnight. Yes, it was. It, you were right. It felt like college. Not Evanston where I, where I went to school is never like that, but it reminded me of Ann Arbor where my brother went to college. Mm-hmm. It is because it's a, it's, I wouldn't say it's at all isolated. It's no. quite easy to get to um, Park City. We'll talk more about our yes. travel. But it is kind of a, a camp atmosphere. It's a yeah, small it's nice. place with like a lot of people. Perhaps a little oversubscribed this weekend, but that's okay. Just oh like- my god, I had such great lift luck yesterday. It was delightful. But I will say, I don't feel I've seen enough celebrities just like out and about. Maybe I'm not out and about enough, and that it's a me problem, not a them problem. But like, I haven't really had a great sighting yet. No shots at America Ferrera, who was on my flight. But like. That's all I've got so far. Some people saw Taylor Swift wandering the streets on Thursday. Did they really? Yes. I just spoke to someone yesterday who saw Taylor Swift. I was also here on Thursday, and I was wandering the streets myself because I have to tell you, I didn't like prepare in terms of reading the materials or mm. looking at maps sure. or asking questions. Well, I, that's not true. I just wandered around being like, do you know where the shuttle is? A major problem with maps is they don't really convey mountains very well mm-hmm. in, in hills. And I feel like even if you had looked, you would have you would still needed to have like wandered on Thursday. That's true. And the shuttle system is quite involved. I figured it out. Yeah. I have been talking about this a lot. It's kind of my primary fixation. But if anyone is here at Sundance <laughs> and has questions about the shuttles, please let me know. I did not see Taylor Swift, which I'm now really bummed about. I know. I, I haven't even seen pictures of her here. So she kept a low profile. We're going to talk a lot about her because we both saw Miss Americana. And in fact, later on in this podcast, Lana Wilson will be chatting with me about the film. She's directed it. Um, but we'll come back to her in a second. But have you seen any celebrities? So I have I have seen people that I recognize from television and film, but it has been sort of an out-of-context situation because there are a lot of people in a relatively small space or town, and then there are various movie theaters that are pretty crowded and a lot of people trying to get their seats. And so I was walking down the aisle yesterday in a, in a movie theater, and I looked at someone and I was like, oh, I, I think I know that person. Did I work with her? Did I... Is she a friend of a friend? You know, and I'm trying to put my social game face sure. on, like being ready to to be a polite ambassador. And then I just realized it was the sister from Fleabag. Incredible. Claire. Like, yes, Claire. And I was like, oh, I, I don't actually know you. But normally my strategy with celebrities that I run into in the wild is to not make eye contact sure. or disturb them. In fact, um, my husband is terrible at this because he will really just swivel his head all the way around yeah. and be like, where is the person? Let me watch them for a long time. And I find it mortifying. But the problem is that if you, it takes you a minute to realize they're a celebrity, then you've already made eye contact. Right. You've already broken I say, the, like, I stare the con- straight into their face a lot yeah. of the time. 
Yeah. I'm hoping for some good ones. I need to put more effort into it, I think. I also did see someone at this screening that I did recognize. Uh, oh, my goodness. Who is that? Mark Ronson? Oh, my God. As I'm so long, happy for you. Longtime listeners of this podcast will know that I am, I'm a fan of Mark Ronson, both his work and his other personal endeavors. Uh, he, yeah, he's very tall, and he was at the Zola screening just like me. Can we talk about Zola for a second? Yes. This was not planned, but I actually was just curious. Yeah. So that was an internet phenomenon turned film, and— how was that for you? There's a whole rash of internet phenomenon turned films yes. coming. Like I would even say the Anna Delvey. Is that going to be a movie or a TV show? I don't know. I think I, there I, might be competing projects I think actually. It, I think it might be both. Like there's a lot of like this article or this Twitter thread took off and now it's becoming a movie. Like I feel like coming in the next like yes. three years. And this meme or yeah. this thing that where people got in a fight on the internet. But things that are very of the internet. I thought that that was one of the strongest parts of the movie actually. So if... If you don't remember, the Zola phenomenon, it was in 2015, and a, a young woman named Asia King took to Twitter to share a story of some things that happened to her as a young person in Florida. And that's kind of all I'll say about the Twitter, but it was about 150 tweets, I would say, ish. Yes. And just for some context, in 2015, this was before, you know, every single political analyst you know was like, one out of 43, here's what I have to say about the impeachment crisis and also college football today. Totally different time in the world. And <laughs> kind of heartbreaking. It was a wild story, but it was also uh, just a very clear marriage of medium and storytelling. This was a person who knew how to write and who actually knew how to write on Twitter. And the way that the story was unfolding was as much about her narration as it was about kind of the ridiculous events. Mm -hmm. And there was kind of a there was a lot of observation and context in it, but also a sardonic, witty tone to, like, her storytelling that is what made it successful. Right. And the film does manage to preserve that, which I think is a real accomplishment. Also, I, I don't think it would work without it because otherwise it's just some some really messed up stuff that's right. happening to a lot of people in the state of Florida. Interesting. So, and I think it, it does also, it doesn't, like— put the tweets on the screen. Right. You know, it doesn't do... It is a lot of movies and TV that don't feel as native of the internet, you know, will often have the screenshot or it's it's kind of like, hey, fellow kids, I know the internet too. Sure. And this was from someone who is just conversant in the internet. That's been a funny thing to watch over the last, like, seven years. And I think in England, they figured this out first, how to integrate text messages mm -hmm. and, like, online media into, like, the written part of the internet into TV and movies. And it's actually interesting to, like, see that evolve, which I would say the Taylor Swift film did not do well. Yes, I do want to talk about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, why was Mark Ronson there? Is I he have a no producer? Idea. Is he— I know. What we, was he wearing? What's his what's his snow vibe like? He, he it was a New York snow vibe, which okay. I respect. Keep so, it consistent. Like a Jordan Catalano look. What's a New York snow vibe I, to I you? I guess maybe it, it was hair was a bit disheveled, but still vertical, as he is wont to do. And he was wearing kind of a black, longer top coat-ish, but I assume it's a bit warmer. Mm -hmm. And and then I honestly I had to look away and keep it together. <laughs> To, to be quite honest, Wait, I was trying to sorry. be a composed person. I need to go back to the coach. I hope he never listens to this. This He's, is so embarrassing. No offense, but he probably won't. Okay, um, that's true. That's <laughs> no offense to either of us. Yeah, exactly. Um, back to the coat. Black, knee length, like peacoat length. Like, what are we talking here? Knee length. Wow. Yeah. Maybe a little bit above because he is quite tall. Yeah. What was his what was he with anyone? No. It, oh my gosh, quick. going solo. Because one time, many, many, many years ago, I think I was still in college, I saw him at the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival in Dumbo, which like now there's a million buildings where this used to occur. 
And he was also alone, like, just, like, taking in the hip-hop. And I was like, who is this hipster? Taking in the hip-hop. <laughs> he was. <laughs> he was just taking it all in. He has historically done that, yes. And I, get, I think he, like, rolls solo when he wants to, like, take in culture he really likes or is interested in. Yeah. It's part of his charm, obviously. I, I should have... St- Look to see where he was sitting and if he was with anyone and needed any company, but I'm not that bold. So. You should have been like, listen, Mark, Yeah, I have no problem with your sapiosexual comments. I've <laughs> I've forgotten them. I know you're keeping a low profile they as were a result. taken out of context. I understand what morning shows <laughs> and the internet can do. It's not, could have been a real Robin Williams, Matt Damon. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, those are two really good ones. I mean, you got Sean, whatever her last name is from Fleabag. I should have looked it up, but this is a- It's fine. Yeah. We're just going with it. She's Claire. She's the female Claire from Fleabag. And Mark Ronson, I mean, that's like super in the mix zeitgeisty with Fleabag. Mm -hmm. And Mark Ronson, one of your true loves. Yes. So you're having a great time so far. I am. I haven't seen like Robert Redford yet. So any of us? I know. They do show a video of him before the films Mm. uh, from opening night. I went to the bathroom during that. Okay. uh, (laughs) Well, you missed Robert Redford. Whatever the pre-roll was for Miss Americana, (laughs) I went to the bathroom. Okay. Sorry, I missed it. Uh, Let's talk about Taylor Swift and Miss Americana. So most importantly, Taylor Swift, and I think it came out on Thursday that her mother has a brain tumor after having breast cancer which is covered in the film, but of course the tra- really beautiful tragic song on her new album is about. So most importantly, best wishes to Andrea Swift. Absolutely. And it I, I had read that news before I watched the film, as I think you yes, had as well. It, and it does put, her mother is a character in the film and they very seem much to have so. a very lovely relationship. Yeah. And it's sad to watch. Or not sad, but it is kind of um, heartrending. Yeah, it definitely puts some pieces of the movie into mm-hmm. a different light. It also puts that song into a different light. Yes. And also, I want to talk about this, but like one of the only artists that Taylor Swift really mentions in the movie is the, the Dixie Chicks, who was on that song. And, uh, you know, it was it's a, a really somber note for the movie to come out into the world. But I think it's also having seen the film, knowing her mother is in it so much, probably not a surprise that she just sort of let that out at the same time, essentially. So there's a lot to cover with the film, which I think is like a real credit to the filmmaker and Taylor. Yes. Lana Wilson's a filmmaker. So this movie will be on Netflix on January 31st, which is pretty soon. So we're going to try not to spoil everything, though fair warning. I mean, it's about Taylor Swift's life. And if you're listening to Jam Session or have, you know, been in the world for the past 10 years, you know a lot of the beats. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Major major figures in the film are Kanye West. Perhaps you've heard of him. Uh, Taylor Swift, maybe you've, that's probably obvious. Uh, a lot of Jack Antonoff, mm-hmm. Joel Little, who worked on Lover. But those are kind of the big names. Yes. And it begins with Taylor finding out that she does not get nominated for the major categories at the Grammys in 2018 for Reputation, her album that was like a reaction to her previous three years, essentially, two years. Um, and, and specifically to the part two of the Kanye West and I guess Kim Kardashian West feud. Right. And so it it begins with her trying to show you less than perfect Taylor, which is not what she often tries to do. She sings about that all the time, but we so infrequently see her in a vulnerable state or a state of crisis or emotional. And it was like a really interesting like first note and I, I love Pop Docs, as discussed. I think I like made us talk about the Ed Sheeran yes. Apple documentary many times. I think you're the foremost expert on this particular genre <laughs> of music film, which is really hyper, hyper famous level person doing a behind-the-scenes documentary 
with a certain amount of access and also a certain amount of protection. Right. Does it bother you that it is like, you know, hagiographic? There's no way around it. It doesn't bother me. I think obviously it would be stronger without the there there is one section in the middle where it's just like I really love my friends. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I know that you really love your friends. And you can you can almost see that there are certain issues that it was very important that that Taylor wanted to talk about. And she was like, now we're gonna do this. And I and I thought some of those issues were like really fascinating. Yes. And it was very cool to see them. And some of them were now it's my day to talk about you know, the importance of family. And I actually don't mean to demean that because it does seem that her family is very important to her, but I thought kind of the off-guard moments when she was interacting with her family were a lot stronger than the presentation that she gave. Yes, I agree with you because I I rolled, we didn't see the movie together, which is helpful for this Mm -hmm. conversation. I definitely did a groan to myself when she was like, I've come to realize the most important things are friends and family. Yeah. And it's like that is, was really dissonant with the with how she was trying to position the movie, which is like, this is what I'm actually like. This is who I am. This is what I'm like when I'm alone. Because there was a lot of her like with just one other person or by herself, obviously with the camera crew, but uh, pretending that they are part of the environment and less like an active participant in the scene. And so it, there was like, it just was like really interesting because even when she's sort of trying to say this is who I am and and change how we think of her a little bit, the tensions that exist around Taylor Swift continue to exist. Yeah, you're always aware that she has not only agreed to do this, but is an active participant in the shaping of the narrative. Yeah. And that is, number one, absolutely her right. Yeah. You and I have talked a lot about how even the most honest and forthright people or celebrities who really just want to reach out and tell you the truth via Instagram or whatever— don't always have like a full picture of themselves. I, right. th- we have therapists for a reason. And to an extent, we have journalists or historians for a reason, though I understand not always wanting to trust them. But there are things that a third party can see that a, first, uh, a person cannot. Can I ask you a specific question? Yeah. There was a moment in the movie in the back half where Taylor's talking about some of her own destructive, self-destructive behavior mm-hmm. where she says to herself, I felt myself slipping back into this way of thinking. And then I said to myself, no, Taylor, we're changing the channel on, on mm-hmm. that. Do you think that's something like is that directly from therapy or do you think she like read a book? I was I was just wondering if Taylor Swift goes to therapy because she doesn't speak like someone who's been in therapy, but she has a lot of like cognitive behavioral therapy ideas. Yeah, it's a great question. I think she must have been at some form of therapy at some point. I think she does have thought patterns yeah. of therapy. One thing that was so interesting in watching this documentary, which I haven't said this on the record, I also really enjoyed. And it made me realize that I like Taylor Swift a lot because I recognize a lot of myself in her, which is horrifying. But <laughs> no, it's not. It's not horrifying. I mean, it's 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 me being an only child and only seeing myself and everything. That's what's horrifying about it. It's not horrifying because I think Taylor Swift is uh, very smart and talented, if not all, you know, and human and makes mistakes. But I did just in the way that she speaks and thinks and the references she makes, I recognize someone who is like three or four years younger than me. But yeah. Uh, consuming the same things, has the same references, has kind of the same speech patterns as I do. And that was really fascinating because I, you know, she lives, she does live in a bubble. She is one of the most famous pop musicians in the world and has been that way since she was a teenager and lives a very just rarefied, isolated life. And then we just have the same 
we we kind of think the same way about a lot of things. Yeah. But I did notice that there were some lessons that can only be learned in therapy or by via therapy books. Yes. And even the way that she was talking about them is sometimes the way that I think about the things that I learn in therapy and apply to my own life. I mean, it's like like a foundational part of CBT, cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, is mm-hmm. like identifying thought patterns having mantras for yourself yeah. and changing your thought pattern. Yeah. That's like, that's the goal of that kind of therapy. And she was doing that. And I was just thinking about like where that came from and, and everything. And, and it was interesting to me. You know, I do wonder whether she actually got it from a therapist because I do think there is an understandable defensiveness on display in, mm-hmm. in this documentary and in all of, it's actually less than you might expect. There's a, a guardedness. Yeah. So, which I understand because she's been an unbelievably famous person since she was like 15 years old. Right. And are you just going to open up to anybody? Right. I wouldn't, me which, you know, not. which is, again, it's like maybe see me reflecting too much of myself onto Taylor Swift. Of course not. So I wonder whether it's an actual therapist or whether someone gave her a book or whether it's like a friend who is sharing some thought techniques with her that have meant something to her. It, it could be a lot of different ways, but I, I, I kind of suspect she has seen a therapist. Yeah, it just was an interesting thought that I hadn't really considered before. Mm-hmm. But I was curious, like, what about after seeing the movie, like, what's the main thing about her that has changed for you or or the main thing that was, like, very much reinforced? Because I think that people will watch this documentary and see a lot of what they already thought about Taylor Swift. I think it amplifies ideas that you already have because a lot because she doesn't introduce new characters and it's a lot more about, like, telling her side of the last 15 years. I completely agree with that. I think it will really frustrate and perhaps even enrage people who are not interested in her. And I think there's validity in the frustration and stop being mad on the internet. So that's what I have to say about the enragements. And then I think for someone like me who, I've been a huge Taylor Swift fan. I, I love her music. And it was clarifying to me to watch this documentary and realize like, oh, you're a super type A perfectionist young woman of a certain age. And maybe that's why I also relate to you. Um, I, as listeners of this podcast know, I was fatigued by the whole situation (laughs) pretty much from Reputation on. Reputation was not an album that I enjoyed very much. I honestly think I've listened to it twice. And I didn't really understand a lot of the stuff that she was trying to do around Lover, even though I think that's a much better album. And I commend her for um, everything that she is trying to do for um, the LGBTQ community and for and kind of her political awareness. Um, sure. I agree with her on all of those messages. But I, it kind of felt like she was no longer speaking to me. Right. Like I was not the ideal Taylor Swift audience. It was either teenagers or kind of a, a, a wider Starbucks listening audience, for sure. lack of a better word. And this reminded me what I liked about her. I agree. I think I think like and dislike aside, I also was like, I really respect this professional woman. Mm-hmm. And also, again, I think that's like a big reflection of like where I am in my life personally, you know. But I was just like, she works really hard. She gets negative feedback and internalize it as I need to do better. She really... Oh my god, that scene! I will be thinking about that scene. And it's for the, rest the first of my life. scene of the movie, and and uh, I'm looking forward to people seeing it and the feedback. And it's it's really heart wrenching. She she is trying to contain herself while 
trying to process this information about not getting Grammy nominations as quickly as possible. And it's it's moving. I think that like any, I, I think this is a particular like female thing when you're used to a certain level of like approval or success or, you know, like whether it's academic or professional. And if you really stake your confidence on that, not achieving it is a real blow. Mm-hmm. And that's something we should mention. The whole movie is framed around Taylor Swift acknowledging that she thrives on the approval of hordes of humans. Like, that's how she, that's how the film is positioned. And so then the rest of what you're watching is like her working through the rise of that approval and then the extreme drop and like the moments that she identified as the trouble moments. Right. And she's trying to understand that, make a certain amount of peace with it, and maybe even distance herself from that need for approval slightly. But then she's doing it while cooperating with the giant documentary in which she's shaping the narrative for a large group of people to help understand her and win her back. Right. It's so it's meta and fascinating. And in a lot of ways, I think it's a great encapsulation of the Taylor Swift experience. Yeah. And everything that is good about it and also everything that's your kind of like, well, but what do I think about this? And, and how strategic is this? And is right. that a bad thing? And the, all these conversations that we're having about what is what is quote real or authentic and how much she is calculating and she even talks about what the word calculating means in the in the film are the same things that we've been talking about with her for 15 years now totally and so the kind of the second half of the movie in addition to the Kanye West moment from the 2009 VMAs which they show the VMAs and 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 they do acknowledge the whole the famous situation in 2016 but that goes Pretty quickly. It does go quickly. The famous thing they don't want to dwell on. Which, thank you. I don't want to dwell Me on it either. either. I'm, so that's what we wanted to leave that's in the what past I turned on. That's when I turned on Kanye, ter- personally. I still love a lot of his music. But, like, as a as a celebrity, I think to lead a chant at your concert of Fuck Taylor Swift is really inappropriate. And Yes. It was interesting. I, I appreciated the documentary's choice not to dwell on it because I did consume literally a decade of that content yeah. and wanted to leave it behind. But I, I was just thinking about the dissertations that you could write in— five or 10 or 20 years about Kanye West and Taylor Swift yeah. over the decade and our notions of celebrity, yeah. which which we have talked about, but it, it it's all right there for the taking. Totally. And then the other moment that she doesn't say in the same way with, with as she does with Kanye, but identifies and commits a lot of energy into the movie, she positions her desire to post a message endorsing Bresden for um, governor. Is it governor or senator? Senator. Senator in Tennessee as something she feels is morally necessary and she must do to fight for women's rights, LGBTQ rights. And she doesn't say this directly, but it comes across as her failure to say anything in 2016 when Trump and Hillary Clinton were running against each other. She does actually acknowledge it. And there is there's no like direct to camera acknowledgement, but there's a conversation with her father where she's talking about this desire to endorse president. And she was like, I feel sad that I didn't do this two years ago. Yes. And that's a pretty big moment in the life cycle of Taylor Swift. It we, really we, is. We wrote on The Ringer about how how disappointing and frustrating it was for her to not say anything. And like, where was Taylor in 2016? Yes. It is a, it is a big moment in the life cycle of Taylor Swift. This documentary also... Uh, knows or believes that it's a big moment in yes. the life cycle of Taylor Swift, which is very interesting. The knowledge of what she's doing and how it will affect, she literally says, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history in yes. one point, which 
she has been proven correct in that we will all write the pieces about why didn't you do anything and why don't you stand up for this? And that, you know, that was a complicated situation that we don't, I I never want to relive 2016 ever again. But that was a bad part of the movie is having to relive some of this stuff. Yes. (laughs) But she, she knows that that's the case and she is right that that is the case, but she is also using that in order to kind of create like the redemption arc in this movie. Right. And kind of the the final act of the movie is her having this political awakening and then like writing this song. There's a fascinating, fascinating uh, behind the scenes clip in the studio, which I'd love to talk about the studio access for a moment. But she's explaining the process for writing her new political song, which uh, came out recently. It's I believe it's called Only the Young, or at yes. least that's what the chorus is because she sings it 45 times in the documentary. But she's just talking about imagine that you were really into Beto and then Beto lost or you were really into Stacey Abrams and then that didn't work out either. And I was like, my Taylor's on Twitter. She's my girl is a young little millennial political Twitter person. I thought that was fascinating. Totally. It, it was really fascinating. And let's talk about the studio access because okay. I think that's one of the reasons that I left the film being like, wow, she's really impressive is because her songwriting is as I think listeners know, I'm obsessed with like pop music and the songwriting process of pop music. I look at songwriting credits. I really care about that. And that's one of the reasons I love a pop doc. Um, <laughs> they're really incredible scenes where it's Taylor intensively working, usually with one other person. Yes. Ma- maybe someone else in the studio. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a lot of the photos you see. Like Justin Timberlake posts pictures of him in the studio all the time on his Instagram. Oh, and does he? He always has like... I-, I wouldn't know. He always has like a minimum of five people there. He's got, you know... And, like, for Taylor Swift, it's clearly an ongoing process of which her phone is, like, a major instrument, which mm-hmm. is also super millennial. But before I even knew you, by the way, I knew that you interviewed Taylor Swift and she, like, sent you. Didn't she, like, tell you about the voice memo or, like, send you a voice memo or I think she sang dubstep production things right. to me on the phone. It was it was for Red, and I did interview her. That was great. She was really, really lovely, by the way. That was a phone interview, right? Yes, it was. And... By the way, the, it was, you know, it was a, one of the phone days where there were a lot of junkets and somehow my time got lost. And then a, my phone rang about an hour later and it was Taylor Swift calling me directly and, and immediately apologizing. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. She's do you a have pro. time to, Do you have time to talk right now? And let me tell you, I did. But <laughs> she... Reader, I did. Reader, I did. But she did... I believe we were talking about... God, what's the... I knew you were trouble. Thank you. Yes. Which is a top three Taylor song for me. It's not for me, but... I. I'm glad that you have things that make you happy Thanks. in this world. <laughs> anyway, we were talking about those production choices, and she did just start singing some of the elements of the song in her Taylor voice, and it was fascinating to watch her do that again in this documentary. Right. Because it's clear she hears it in her head. Yes, she hears it, and, the, and her process is finding people who she does truly collaborate with. Like, there's scenes with her and Jack Antonoff that are so cool because it's just, like, about— the process of collaboration in real time. And you see the moment of inspiration, which I thought was so exciting. Yes. It's, it's, it's about Getaway Car, which was my favorite song on Reputation. I think is actually an excellent song. The only bummer of this movie is that, not the only bummer, I, I actually found a lot of sadness in it, which we can come back to. It was a bummer that a lot of the songwriting stuff is focused on reputation and not on Lover because Lover's so much better. That is true. I will say, if you <laughs> if you know the New York Times series Diary of a Song with Joe Coscarelli, so good. she did do Lover. Yes. And I thought that was really great. And I think that that Diary of a Song is really complimentary to this. Because Absolutely. in that one, she's kind of talking to the camera and explaining her process, which involves waking up in the middle of the night and like reaching for her phone and singing whatever came to her in a dream, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And then... 
in the in the documentary, you can see her playing the stuff that she recorded in the middle of the night and trying to find a way to communicate that to the producer in the room and right. turn it into the actual song that we hear. And to me, it's amazing how much of it she can hear in her head, which just to me signals actual genius. Yeah, but she's like a she is a musical genius. Mm-hmm. I wish there had actually been a little bit more about how she understands music. Because some people are trained in it. Some people just have an innate ability, which she seems to have since she started doing it from so young. But I was just sort of curious about, like, how she learned to play the guitar and how she learned to play the piano. And, like, I think similar to being an athlete, there's so much about, like, the skills that you pick up versus what you can just is sort of like an innate talent and all that. And right. It's pretty it, – she is an innate songwriter. It's, it's really amazing. And like athletes where, you know, athletes are sometimes – like talking about things and sometimes don't like talking about things. But when they're talking about their sport, they suddenly, you just kind of see a different level in their brain turn on and they come alive and they know so much about it. And I think Taylor Swift is actually a, a, she is excited to talk about a lot of things, but in this one, you could really just see the, the next level of her brain. She was just kind of operating and could hear it all and was just trying to communicate, okay, this, I want this beat and I want this and trying to get it all out, which is, Really exciting to watch. I agree with you. It was it was really cool. Also made me like Jack Antonoff way more, who like, for whatever reason, I'm not like a huge fan of, but he seemed like a great collaborator and that made me like him. Yes. And also, I will say as they were playing the music in and out, it is the Antonoff songs that they've lent themselves to documentary very yes. well. That was Those were the ones that really stood out to me. Yes. Which, which makes sense. His production is consistent and kind of... Larger, so in a theater, it, it worked. I I may have not been paying good enough attention, but I don't think they used a lot of her studio music. There's a lot of Taylor Swift performance, like not used in like an academic way, like literally her performing, mm-hmm. like from the VMAs, from the Reputation tour, some earlier clips. There's a lot of like award show fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was pretty conspicuous that she wasn't using a lot of her studio recordings, which are a major point of contention between her and Big Machine Records and The Feud. And yes. I, I, and, and this documentary was cited as one of the issues that they couldn't come to an agreement over. Right. And so I do think there's slightly different like usage and licensing there. I thought that was interesting. And I, I actually want to talk about some of the things that aren't in the movie. Let's go. Number one. I'm glad you mentioned the songwriting stuff because it reminded me that she basically references three musical acts throughout the film. One is the Dixie Chicks as it relates to them being political and not to spoil the movie, but that kind of comes up. But it's a way, and she doesn't even mention that she's written a song with them. No. It's way more about what happened to them when they got political uh, during the Bush administration. She mentions Bob Dylan. Which, which by the way, we don't need to go down this road, but... They made one offhand comment at a concert. That's kind of what I had forgotten. Yeah, but then they made Not Ready to Make Nice. Sure, that's true. They, 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 they to committed their credit, to it. Yeah, to their credit, they were like, well, we're, we've done this. But it's just in the age of Twitter and all the things that people say on yeah. the internet all the time, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, that was I, a different time. Slight aside, a lot of Fox News clips in this, by the way. I did notice that choice. A lot of Fox News. Yeah. Um, which, I, which was for a reason. It, everything that they play is pretty galling. Yes, and also works into the political message that she's trying to send Mm -hmm. in this movie. So there's the Dixie Chicks, and they are referenced more as political celebrities than as musicians and collaborators of Mm -hmm. hers. Uh, There's a a mention of Bob Dylan, which I found exhilarating when she's, like, doing a vocal in the studio. I think that was for, at the time, Jack Antonoff. Mm -hmm. Very quick, like, under a second. She just, like, mentioned, like, yeah, like a Dylan kind of thing. Doesn't even say Bob Dylan. And then Rihanna, when she's on a plane with her mom, and she doesn't, and they're, like, 
holding their items in place as they're taking off in the private jet. The they're, food items. And they're worried, yeah, food items are worried, worried about spilling on what she says is a Rihanna shirt. Great stuff. Great stuff. She doesn't, she really only referenced one musical reference, like, which is Bob Dylan, essentially, you know? You had pointed this out to me, and I didn't really notice it, but I think it's very perceptive. And it does also signal, again, she says this in the movie, and I think it's really true that you can't say the word strategy and calculation, especially in the context of a woman. But yeah. but really, honestly, applied to any person in this era when you're supposed to be like authentic and real and just connecting with people. Yeah. You can't say that without a negative connotation. But she, she does clearly have a strategy, which you know who loves a plan? Elizabeth Warren and me. So <laughs> I, and me too. Yeah. So I, I think that's great. And it does, it's very clear that the plan is to focus on Taylor and to communicate her a, a, a specific image and a specific sense of who she is right now, as opposed to how she got there or the, you know, the other people who have shaped her. It doesn't have a lot of external forces. And as we noted, even when the external people, like, I just love all my friends, yeah. come in, it feels a little forced because it's about her. I don't mind that as much because at the end of the day, when I'm watching a Taylor Swift documentary, I want to hear about Taylor Swift. I agree with you. I just think it's really interesting. And this is where I found some sadness. She acts like she sort of lives in a void, but she's also obsessed with how people respond to her, but mm-hmm. she doesn't interact with her. Also not in the movie, her brother, Austin, who's been her date on the red carpet, like certainly know he exists. Her father is really only in it as it relates to her political strategy. Joe Alwyn is seen in it in a cool way, doesn't speak. And she does... Doesn't she name both, him either. She talks about how they decided to make their relationship private, but then she shows, I think, a lot of Pers- whole, personal, personal videos yeah. that I think are taken by him. And there is about like a, th- a three minute segment where she just is kind of like, I fell in love. And I actually found it quite moving and made me really invest in their relationship. I'm rooting for that. I am too. She's been very sweet in her limited commentary about him. I actually, in the diary of the song, she did what she does for Lover, the song. She talks about how she found a really powerful idea was like when you meet someone and you decide you want to start creating a family with them and move away from the family, like your original mm-hmm. nuclear fa- nuclear nuclear family, mm-hmm. nuclear family. And that really comes through. It's very sweet. It's 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 just like a real maturation point. Yes. And, and I agree. It made me want to invest in her. Um there's none of, like, the squad stuff from the Red Tour at all. I, I, yeah, was that Red or was it that? Was, it was, or sorry, the next it was, one. It was 1989. 1989, yeah. Right. Um, that was really noticeable because it is also when those people do show up for a moment. Like, there is one awards show where she's there with Selena Gomez yes. as her date, who is not part of the squad, who is, right. like, pre-squad, I guess. Pre-squad, I think they had a they grew apart because Justin Bieber and then came back together. But it was a memory of all of the people that she has been associated with who have no longer, who are no longer in there. I I gave her credit. She plays part of All Too Well, and they just show concert footage of her alone at the piano, which is my favorite Taylor Swift song. And It's really, really good. I think, she, I think even if it's not your favorite song, you can acknowledge it is, like, objectively the best Taylor Swift song. It, it just has all the, it's a it's a ballad, it's personal, it's rousing, it's just got all of it. Sorry. We don't have to Carry go into on. it right we've, now. We've talked about All Too Well a lot in the past. But every <laughs> single time I listen to it, I'm just like, wow, that's the best song ever written. And then it's usually my husband who's with in the car with me. And it's just like, <laughs> please stop talking about this. I mean, you've literally told me this a thousand times. Do I have to hear this for the rest of my life? Uh, that song is not, is famously a about Jake Gyllenhaal if there are codes in the in the album liner notes but I thought it was very telling as she's uh, 
that clip is showing and they kind of use some voiceover and she says, all of the decisions that I made after that, that being the VMAs, were shaped by it. And I, I took that one sentence to mean Jake Gyllenhaal and Harry Styles yeah. and that that whole moment of being in the press and which, by the way, every right to do. And I think our knowledge of it has more to do with press coverage or everything else. But that was her way of acknowledging some people that she had interacted with right. instead of showing them or even saying their name. Right. What was like your favorite filmmaking moment? I thought the access, even as it was very clear that Taylor Swift was very aware of the cameras, was pretty extraordinary. And that's what I want to see because I, for whatever reason that is rooted in some sort of messed up philosophical or primal fan thing just I want to know what she's like I want those those moments where you didn't think you'd ever get to see that yeah and I do think you get a lot of those in the studio in terms of the filmmaking there's one really great one actually where she is with Brendan Urie my guy I your guy I love his vocals like just love 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 I think I'm on record about me and whatever but they are they've finished doing the vocals and she is they're for, in the studio for me for me the first song off yes. of lover and she is huge trying to, say, to describe her yeah it is a huge mistake <laughs> she's trying to describe her vision for the video which was over the top and candy colored and is you know Taylor Swift is not my preferred visual artist let's put it that way she has other talents but the they do an amazing thing where she is just in the studio kind of off the top of her head explaining what she wants and then the film cuts to the actual video where what she's saying in a conversation just happens right and you get her sense of energy and kind of there is something like oh she did this ridiculous video because it's what she wanted because she's enthusiastic about it but also this sense of what taylor swift sees in her head um, happens she makes things happen which is extremely hard to do. And they don't cut to the actual video. They cut to the intense behind-the-scenes production of it. And you realize, like, what an, not an ordeal, but a spectacle and how much work went into making these videos. And it is, I thought it was just a clever, concise way of communicating both her vision and the scale of what she does. Totally. That was a, that was a really great editing. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, really loved it. They, they did a great job with that. I also thought it moved along pretty quickly in, mm-hmm. a, in a good way. Like, the, I think your point about not dwelling on um, Kanye's famous was really smart. It picked out the most relevant moments. And then a lot of the news coverage it put together seemed really pointed. Like we said, they used Fox News. But sort of like the sources they wanted to cite was very, very specific. And I thought there were some good tacit, like, complimentary moments of, this is what it's like when Taylor is low-key. She wears her hair in a ponytail, pretty limited makeup. Does wear the red make- red lipstick a lot of the time, like mm-hmm. seemingly just for herself. And then this is what it's like when she walks out of her apartment knowing that the paparazzi are waiting and everything. Yes. There was a lot of kind of like, without shouting, this is public Taylor, this is private Taylor. There was a lot of, I think, pretty well conveyed differences between the the public and the private yes. for her. And I thought that was like well done in a way that I would say like doesn't exist in like the Ed Sheeran documentary. Absolutely. And I think it fits into her consciousness of her job as a performer and what it means to be a performer, not just of music, but as a celebrity and as a person, which is what she's kind of working through in this documentary. I'm really interested to see, now having seen this and being in an election year and also on cycle for her album, Mm -hmm. about to go on tour, Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to see what comes next. I'm not sure. Because this movie 
I said it bummed me out because I felt like there was just like a real inherent loneliness to some yes, to a lot of her absolutely. life. Absolutely. And even when she has found, you know, maybe she's found like Joe Alwyn, who she'll have like a long marriage with perhaps, or she has like some really amazing collaborators. It just seemed like in her struggles, she is really isolated and, and lonely. And um Which I think is true. Yeah. And I, I and, think it's honest. How, how could you not be? Totally. And even when she has dinner with her, there's a scene where she has dinner with her best friend, Abigail, who uh, has like kind of been part of the Taylor Swift narrative for a long time. That's the safest choice of a friend to include in the movie, Liz Mm -hmm. Abigail, Mm -hmm. who's just like, this is her childhood friend. She she doesn't care about celebrities. Um, Even that, they clearly were not in the same place anymore, like just like in life stages. Like there's just a real loneliness, I think, to being Taylor Swift and probably to being Rihanna and probably to being like a lot of these other really famous uh, women and, yes. and any pop, and like men too. Like just being a famous pop star, I think it has a loneliness to it. And that really came through. And I'm just really curious to see how the next 18 months go for Taylor Swift. Yeah. I'm very curious to see how this was received. Me too. I'm, I'm excited for more people to see it. Can't wait. I'm the target audience Same. for it. And it and it worked on me. And I do think that there will be a lot of people who are not interested or who find it pretty frustrating that she decides to use the third act of this movie to position herself as a, a political activist. Yes. Uh, two years too late. And or five years or 10 years or 30 years too late. I guess she's 30 at this point. And there will be others who just hate what she did altogether and don't agree with it. So I don't think that the Taylor Swift controversy is over yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think this phrase is overused, but Taylor Swift is definitely a Rorschach test for, yes. for many people. Like yes. you see what you expect from her. And I will say she also doesn't do herself a lot of favors to move away from a lot of the perceptions. Like I, I think we just talked about this in a really like, you know, pretty positive and invested way because we care about her as a celebrity and an artist. But mm-hmm. if you don't care about her, I don't I don't know that you will start to care a lot more as a result of right. this. But if you do have an interest already, you'll probably will feel one way or the other. Yeah. I do think it is a fascinating text for how a celebrity works and how a celebrity is trying to manage their own narrative and how much you can. And yeah. and and also to your point, kind of the loneliness and the um, the the burden of that to an extent it 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 is definitely an interesting insight. So if you're if you've listened this far in jam session, I think that you will enjoy it. Even <laughs> even if you even if you do not like Taylor Swift, and if you walk out of this just enraged at Taylor Swift, I, I do think that's a valid opinion. Me too. Um, if you want to hear more about Amanda's time at Sundance, check out the big picture. Yes, <laughs> I'm seeing movies too. On top of all of this, well, this was a movie you that saw here. True. That you is true. Come on, I did. I did. Come on. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about it. We're both here for a couple more days. Thanks for listening. As always, we got Lana Wilson, and we'll be back next week. I am thrilled to be joined by Lana Wilson, the uh, filmmaker behind Miss Americana, the documentary about Taylor Swift. Hi, Lana. How are you? Hello. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. How's your Sundance going so far? It's been awesome. It seems like it's been packed. I was looking at your schedule. I saw that you were doing a lot of events. Yeah. It seemed like there's just a lot going on. What's insane is that I worked on this film in secret for a year. Right. And in the last 48 hours, 4,000 people have now seen the film. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's what's crazy and, and so exciting about it. Do you read reviews? No. Interesting. I don't. I ask because it's particularly relevant to the movie where yeah. so much of the way that the movie begins is a lot of how Taylor responds to feedback mm-hmm, and to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, both criticism and acclaim. And so it must be funny as a filmmaker who also has to go through that that process to hear her talking about it. And yeah. did you guys discuss that as you were going through it? 
totally. I mean, I think we immediately connected as both being artists and creative people because for any person, whether you're a writer or a painter or a musician or a filmmaker, it's terrifying to put your work out there. Totally. And of course you you want people to like it and to respond to it. And the moment you put your work out there is the moment that from then on out you have no control over. Right. So it's out of your hands now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of your hands and currently in Sundance and soon on a streaming platform. Where yep. thousands yep. of more people, I presume worldwide, will be seeing it. I think perhaps millions of people yes. will see it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is wild to <laughs> That's me. That's exciting. Yeah. How did you first connect with Taylor Swift? We were introduced by Netflix and Morgan Neville, who's a producer on the film. Sure, of course. I love Ugly Delicious. Yes. (laughs) And we had, you know, my immediate reaction was, as soon as the Netflix person I was talking to said Taylor Swift on the phone, I immediately thought, hell yes. (laughs) You know, and I don't think I would have felt that way about any other musician or celebrity. I had admired Taylor's music for years. I didn't know anything about her personal life. I'd never been to a show or anything like that, but I knew her albums really well, and I admired her as a songwriter. I knew she'd written all her own songs since she was 12. And I think the other thing I'd admired was that she was this extraordinarily powerful and successful woman in a male-dominated industry, and I connected to that as a female director. So I was immediately so curious and eager to learn more about what her experience had been like. Right. Do you have a favorite Taylor Swift song from the catalog? All Too Well. It's so funny how many people love All Too Well. (laughs) I mean, she's talked about this in other interviews, how it wasn't a single, but people just connect with that song so intensely. I felt like I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, it's a fan favorite. I I also love, I love some of the early enraged country songs, like Forever and Always. Should Have Said No is a really good one. Should Have Said No is great. And um, yeah, I'm one of the people I love, like, screaming along to the angry early country songs, like Driving in a Car. That's the best. I agree. I I love Country Taylor. I was happy that that music made it into the documentary. Well, I really tried to. I didn't want to have any number one hits in the documentary. Oh, interesting. I wanted to go a little deeper into the catalog, but to have songs that were some of my favorite songs in the film. And we, you know, I wasn't trying to make like an illustrated Wikipedia entry (laughs) of her life. This is not a comprehensive biopic. That's interesting. How come you didn't want the the number one hits? And I actually did notice because it was Interesting. And I think even centering around reputation mm-hmm. is an interesting note because it, it's not necessarily at the high point of, mm-hmm, ta- I mm-hmm. mean, as we learned in the first scene of her mm-hmm. musical archive. So mm-hmm. how what was what kind of drove that decision? Well, I wanted to make a verite film that was a present tense story of this mm-hmm. transformational chapter in Taylor's life. Right. And I wanted it to be a film where you don't have to like her music to like the film and mm-hmm. to connect to her as a human being. So I wanted to use music in a way that illustrated the emotions and the themes of the movie and not not as score, uh-huh. you know, not as non-diegetic music. So it was really important to me that, first of all, we have a composer and we worked with this incredible composer named Alex Summers oh, cool. who collaborates a lot with Yonzi and has done some of the most amazing documentary scores of the last five years. He did a score that to me indicates the directorial point of view yeah. on the film. And then with the music, um, You know, yeah, wanted to use things that quickly tell the backstory of her emotional journey to give the context you need to understand what she's going through in the present tense story. Right. So, for instance, you know, All Too Well, for me, it's it's the song. It's one of my favorite songs. But then it's also this beautiful piano performance where— it's in the dark, and she feels alone at the piano. And that we use that song at a moment where she's talking about 
a hard time in her career and her work ethic right. as a songwriter. And then Out of the Woods, for instance, is this extraordinarily cinematic, massive scale performance that is for when she's at the peak of the world in her career, yeah. at the top of her game. And with the reputation stuff, I actually love reputation. <laughs> but what was— what, I, what, I like it. I wouldn't say yeah. it's my favorite. But yeah, I, yeah, I think, sure. But I think people have a lot of opinions about yeah, it because yeah. it, it was like her return, as you guys talk about. Totally. Film. Well, it kind of has two different sides to it as an album. Mm-hmm. There's the angry, dark side. And then there's the liberating freedom love story side of it. Yeah. And, you know, the role of her writing reputation in the movie is that, as you know, you know, Taylor— after experiencing a media backlash in 2016, went into went away for a year, went out of the public eye, and she wrote Reputation as she was coming out of it. And there was this incredible cell phone footage that she'd recorded of the yeah. writing of Reputation. And we decided to, to build up that cell phone footage to end with the song Getaway Car. Yeah. With this scene. And uh, I, lo- I love this scene. I mentioned yeah. to you before we started recording where she and Jack Antonoff are in the studio together and they're sort of just like, doing like what some would call like a word association, but clearly mm-hmm. is such a more targeted, simpatico, pitter-patter of songwriting yeah. where they're sort of like just, it's almost like they're playing volleyball or yeah. badminton and they're passing the ball back uh-huh. and forth, but it's song lyrics. And it was uh-huh. it was invigorating. I loved it. It was totally. really cool. It's like, I think that's like the best kind of co-writing relationship from yeah. what I saw and how Taylor works. And, and then they could finish each other's sentences. Yeah. Like it feels like that. And what was fun about editing was that that song for me is like freedom. Yeah. And where it comes in the film is about Taylor freeing herself from this belief system she'd lived for so long where other people's approval is the most important thing. And so we cut from her and Jack finishing that song immediately to her on stage in front of 70,000 people performing the song Getaway Car, which is such an exhilarating feeling. And I think she's one of the only people— in the world who you could do that with. You made a couple of really interesting editing choices, I think, that like similar to going from them writing that song to then being in the being in the stadium with her. Mm-hmm. There also was that really cool moment where after she talks to Brendan Yuri about her well, she's explaining her vision mm-hmm. for the video for mm-hmm. me, where it cuts back and forth between Taylor saying what she wants and then getting a shot of that actually happening. Yeah. And I'm curious as a filmmaker, how do you work with your editors and the other producers on the film who pull archival? How yeah. How does that come together? Because I thought that was one of a a real differentiator from a lot of other music documentaries. And it was a really powerful way to express how Taylor works. Yeah. And I'm just curious how that process works. I know sometimes it can be annoying to ask process questions. Oh, I love process questions. No. I'm very curious about it. Yeah, I love that that you responded to that scene. I worked with the dream team of editors on this project. Mm -hmm. And an editor named Greg O'Toole had that idea. And I thought it was a fantastic idea because it captures something that is really special about Taylor, which is that she's the creative force behind every aspect Mm -hmm. of her work. So music video ideas, it's not just the songs and albums, it's the video ideas, it's the album covers, all of it. The aesthetic of an entire era, it all comes from her. And I thought there was something so thrilling about seeing her have this idea in the moment and then realizing because of the place she's in, she has the power to make any vision in her imagination become a reality. Right. You know, that's so rare and cool to watch in action. It's pretty amazing. And there, I think there's a lot of male creators who, for whom there's like kind of like a mm-hmm. legend about how they bring their ideas to life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think particularly in the pop world, it's kind of limited to basically Taylor Swift and Adele who get a lot of credit mm-hmm. for what is being called bossy, whereas I think men often are not called bossy. Mm -hmm, And it was mm -hmm. cool to see the actual process come together. 
And along those lines, I'm curious, like, were there certain notions that you wanted to dispel? Like, where you're like, I, I know these are the these are the things that we need to shed more light on and explain, like, this mm. is what is actually true and not true. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that as someone who really just knew her music mm-hmm. and not, I, I wasn't super aware of all of the public conversations about mm-hmm. her. I would say I started with a lot of curiosity and questions. That's cool. And filmed, and then you know saw. When you're filming and then also when you watch the footage later, you basically watch and notice what is the stuff I have an emotional yeah. reaction to? What is the stuff where it's like anytime you read a book or watch a movie or hear a song, I think you're most amazed by the moments where you feel like you're understood or you hear your own voice in that artwork and you almost can't believe it because you might think from that from the outside. I mean, I certainly thought this with Taylor. I thought, what might I I couldn't have much in common with one of the most famous yeah. women in the world. But I was surprised by how personal making this movie ended up feeling and by how much I could connect to in her experience. So those are the moments you look for when you're filming and when you look at the footage and edit, you gravitate and foreground those and you look for what is the spine of this story, like what, how has Taylor changed in this period of time and how can we illuminate that in the most complex way possible? That's that's really interesting. And what, I guess it's really fascinating to me that you sort of came to this not knowing about necessarily all of the narratives around her because mm-hmm. I thought the way that it was reconstructed with archival was really, it seemed really specific, the clips Great. that you chose. Yeah. I think it was like a, a wide range of clips from CNN and mm-hmm. Fox News mm-hmm. and Twitter and, and whatnot. And so does that is that part of the process as well, like deep mm-hmm. diving mm-hmm. On, on everything? Yeah. Got to give big props to our associate producer, Jacqueline Smith. Mm-hmm who basically spent a year, like, deep diving on the (laughs) internet and in archives and finding all those clips, all those tweets, everything. So, yeah, that was a a process of discovery for me as as we went along. What was most surprising to you, like, based on learning about what people are saying about Taylor while you're actually working with her and presumably spending a ton of time with her? I think I was really surprised by how—you know there's a scene in the film where she writes the song The Man? yes. And talks about the words that are most frequently used to describe her. For mm-hmm. instance, calculating instead right. of strategic, manipulative. There are certain words that are only applied to women. Yeah. And, you know, this constant concern with being likable, I think you see basically what I was really struck by was how true that was. Yeah. As, because as I dove into the news archive and to all the tweets, it really is the same words over and over comparing women to snakes, calling women liars. You know, it's just there's so much loaded stuff in there. Yeah. And so I was really stunned that all of that was, like, more than true. Right. You know, and the kind of fixation on whether or not a woman is likable matters more than anything else. And yeah. that was—it's it, hard to see because men are allowed to be complicated. We watch movies with male characters who are anti-heroes, you yeah, know. and, and celebrate them. Yeah, whereas I think often in a movie with the female lead, people judge whether or not it's a success based on whether or not they liked the woman or not. Right. And there's so much more to being a human being than that. And it was, it was hard to look at all this news archive looking over the 15 years of Taylor's career and see this stuff. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. And, and I, I think it's true. And one of the other reasons I think people are really responding to the movie is because it, I think because it wasn't just about her music and you were much more um, very specific about the songs you chose, it ended up being a lot about a professional woman mm-hmm. and what it is like to be mm-hmm. successful and succeed at, at the highest level mm-hmm. and everything that comes along with that. And I, I thought that was really, I found it honestly moving. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of movies like that. And I think also just hearing you talk through it, the politics piece now makes a lot more sense because mm-hmm. if you're sort of, if you 
reference 2016 as like the moment things change for Taylor, mm-hmm. it's obviously impossible to not also think about some parallels with like Hillary Clinton's likability mm-hmm, and the way mm-hmm. that she was cut down. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then I think that just comes back to what to me was the most surprising part of the movie was how political it was. Mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. just curious, like at what point in production or in getting to know Taylor, did you realize that capturing her um, her own emerging political activism and mm-hmm. the political moment that we are just in a society like had to be a part of the film? Like when did that kind of coalesce for you? Yeah. Well, it started emerging pretty soon after I started filming. I started and filming. When was that? In 2018, during the Reputation Tour. Gotcha. So when I started filming, she had just come back after this period of being away from the public eye for a year. She was just going back into the public eye, but trying to find a way to live in the public eye where she didn't have to feel so much the opinions and the constant feedback from the entire world that is not just feedback on her music, but it's feedback on her as a person, you know? And I think it's pretty amazing how she's maintained a hold on to her humanity and her sense of humor in the face of all that. So when I started filming, she hadn't done an interview in three years, and no one had ever filmed with her in the studio before. Right. So we began by just, you know, building trust, getting to know each other. And I think as the Reputation Tour became really successful, as she started working on the next album, she had regained this confidence and strength. And she had a new perspective on things that led to her consciousness growing and developing in this really incredible way about politics, about feminism, culminating amazing. her decision to, to speak out politically. Yeah, it was pretty amazing to see that come together, the scene where she's talking to her parents essentially about yeah. the need to weigh in on Blackburn versus president was was pretty, uh, I think, just like su- totally surprising. Yeah. And very, very raw. What is it like to collaborate with Taylor and how do you build that trust? I mean, she obviously has been in front of cameras for most of her life. Mm-hmm. She has been around a lot of people who capture footage of her and she. this is not her first Netflix production, in fact. There, mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. is. Did you work on it? Um, no. I didn't think so, but mm-hmm. just I realized it occurred to me I should ask. Oh, no. So she had a uh, last December, or it was like on New Year's Day, a Reputation Stadium concert film basically came out. And so... She's obviously very used to being around cameras. So how mm-hmm. did you create the relationship to make her feel more comfortable and more vulnerable? Because I yeah. imagine that's very difficult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it's like she is used to being around cameras, but this is a very different experience. Yeah. This kind of personal documentary that is really raw and genuine and where she's sharing a lot of things she's never shared before. Yeah. And I would say even though she put so much of herself and her experience into her songs. There's stuff in the film that is is really, really revealing. Yeah. And um, I, I think it's really brave of her to do this film because, I mean, this is someone who, yeah, had the best-selling album on Earth last year. She doesn't need to do this. It's very also very hard for her to get a win. So yeah. even putting herself out there again, knowing that even if you, you know, I think the people are really liking the film, but there are certainly yeah. people who don't or just because it's like a, a bias or a grudge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess like, was that something you guys were also aware of? Like as you were filming, were you aware of what reaction could be? And I just asked, cause she, you know, she references it so frequently of being aware of how people respond to her. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, when we first met, I know we talked about some of the stuff she was going through mm-hmm. and the reason she was interested in working on a documentary with me was that she was going through a lot of stuff and uh-huh. she thought other people might connect to some of the challenges she was facing and find comfort or inspiration in it. That's so cool. And, yeah, and and she wanted me to direct it because I make films about people living in extraordinary circumstances. Yes. And I try to make these films have an intimacy in them so that 
as an audience member, you can come very close to the subjects of the film, even though your life might seem very different on the outside. And I do it in a way that is not black or white, is not sensational, but tries to bring a lot of gray area and depth to that portrait. So I, she really responded to that storytelling approach. And That's that awesome. was the initial idea with this film. So I think it just took, it was her trust in me from watching my work. And then it just took time with each other sure. while filming to, to build up the trust. Naturally the comes when you work with anyone. And I yeah. think it, it really operates on that level, which is fascinating. And I can't think of a lot of other comps with people as famous as Taylor, where it's about their work and their work ethic. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's so much about like growing into being a professional Yeah, in a way that I, I do think will resonate with some of her older fans like me. I, her, yeah. her fan base is so wide, but I do think there's a very specific experience of women at work Mm -hmm. that is not necessarily related to family and not necessarily related to, you know, being a mother, which are also like really important stories. Mm -hmm, But there's mm -hmm. just something about being a woman who wants to succeed at the highest level and like Mm -hmm. the barriers that that you face and also how emotional that is and and, like figuring out a way to kind of let those emotions out. It was, I I found that really moving. And Mm. the intimacy you mentioned, I also, I felt like we saw Taylor alone a lot. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I wonder, was that, a, was that a filmmaking decision to sort of put her kind of alone, or do, was that just sort of representative mm-hmm. of how she spends a lot of her time when she's in the throes of songwriting? Yeah, well, with songwriting, it is usually just her mm-hmm. or her and one other person. Right. So, yeah, I think that might be surprising to people who might think there's some kind of pop machine behind her. Yeah. And I thought it was so cool. Yeah, because some pop stars, her. there is that pop yeah. machine. I think many people was, in the room yeah. writing songs, and this is just not how it is with her at all. Outside of the studio, I really loved filming with her alone because it was just great to capture her in that kind of reflective state. Because yeah. she actually is so busy and, you know, always traveling all around the world and often does have a lot of people around her. It felt extra special to me to capture her alone. Right. And I really was drawn to this extraordinary, ordinary contradiction in her yeah. life. Like the fact that she goes from being on stage performing for 70,000 people into being in a car alone at the end of the night, riding home, right. going to sleep. Like I wanted to capture those mundane moments because that's when I felt a real intimacy with her. Another one of those moments that really worked was when she's eating the burrito and she's yeah. eating with chips. People love that scene. Well, not having I had a burrito so until I the age of 27 it. is wild. It's also sad. <laughs> burritos are delicious. I was glad to see she learned she that you should be shoving it into your mouth burritos with now. chips. Yeah. Yeah. Who introduced her? I got to find out. I, I mean, that's we'll, that was a wild we'll fact. But I think those are like the small <laughs> yeah, moments totally. that actually also play into that idea yeah. of like ordinary versus extraordinary. Absolutely. Because it's so ordinary to have a burrito and so extraordinary to yeah. never had one until you were yeah. 27. So yeah, I think totally. No, I, that's been an audience favorite. And that's that's interesting to see. But I think that the ordinary extraordinary thing is at the heart of so much. It's even at the heart of the scene where she discusses with her family the political endorsement post. Yeah. I mean, certainly the subject of it outwardly is politics and, you know, Taylor's convictions and belief and how she wants to stand up for what she believes in. And there's a series of things. We kind of peel back the onion layers over what led her to that decision. But at the heart of it, it's also something that is so relatable to everyone, I think, which is this coming-of-age moment where you're having a difficult conversation with your family. And these are the people who love you the most in the world but you're at a point where you have to say, I hear you, I love you, but I need to do things my own way now. Yeah. I'm going to have to disagree now. Do it like this. Yeah. And I, I really related to the hard conversations I've had with my dad in that sure. scene. And I think it's a great idea that, that Taylor brought up that we use at the end of the film, which is her saying that 
some people say celebrities are frozen in time at the age they become famous. And she thinks that was true for her. And that the last couple of years has been about her growing up really quickly. That definitely is true. And you also can see her changing. I think that yeah. is true that people thought of her that way. But I think it's particularly since Lover has come out, you can see her actively trying to change that, even with the ways mm-hmm. that she, the press that she's been doing. And it's mm-hmm. interesting to see how this plays into it as well. And I don't know if you watched her Diary of a Song, which she kind of got, got yeah, that stuff too. totally. I, I love her. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I love that video. Yeah. What, what kind of notes does she give? Like, I mean, she basically, I was... I was really left alone, mm-hmm. and I made the cut with my amazing editors. And They really I, are amazing. I they're, tell yeah, them I said so. I will. I will. <laughs> it's, it's extraordinary. It's a big challenge because it's, yeah. you know, 15 years of her career, and there's 15 years yeah. before she became famous. So to figure out what small bits of backstory were needed to really let the present tense story sing was was tough. But um, Particularly also with the Into the Woods montage where they pick out the different clips. Thanks, yeah. Se- seamlessly weave together all the different Into the Woods yeah. performances. Yep. Also, I love that song, and it was released, but then like not really a single, so it was uh-huh. an interesting choice. But yeah. anyway, interrupt. I you. love that song too, and I wanted to have a big moment. Yeah, and I just loved the set because that's this section about – her being on top of the world. Right. That's what it is. Yeah, and peak, I, yeah. her musical prowess yep. and everything. Sorry, anyway, so back anyway, to her notes. <laughs> oh, well, so basically the process was she just watched a few cuts and gave feedback, which is something, you know, in documentary filmmaking, we often have test screenings or I all right. show work to other filmmakers. And the first time we showed it to Taylor was with her and her whole family, and I was very nervous. But she loved it. I mean, all of the stuff you see in the film was in there now. And I, I think I was just like, yeah, she's sharing some— I've, Having her share so much in this film, <laughs> is this all going to be good with her? But yeah, it was. Awesome. She loved it. There was no area where she said, no, I don't want to go there. That never happened. So she just responded extraordinarily well to the first cut. And she did give some notes, but they were along the lines of the notes that like another filmmaker might give me, mm-hmm. you know, because she's a storyteller. Right. You know, so it was just great. She, it's like getting just feedback from another excellent storyteller. That's so funny. Did you have to coax anything out of her to like get raw with the camera? Like, you know, you began with her getting the results about um, that Grammys. Yeah. And like, you know, was that something she was hesitant to shoot? Because it was such a, it was, it set the tone for the movie, obviously, which I'm sure Great. that's why you picked it. That was something that we actually couldn't be together mm-hmm. on the day that those nominations were being announced. So I asked her to film it herself. Yeah. And the angle you yeah, can tell. It's the a angle cell phone. Work, yeah. It works. Yeah. It works. To, oh my God. Steven it feels Soderberg even more. So yeah. Totally. The cell I phone it, film figure. I love the texture of it and it feels even more yes, personal. It does. It works and really well. Yeah. It, it does set the tone. I think you see so much about her in that scene. You see, her ambition, but you also see her strength of character and yeah. that she gets bad news and she's like, okay, I'm going to work even harder now. Yeah. And I think that's a trait that a lot of prolific artists share, people who have long careers, you know, people yeah. who have written 30 novels. I think that they have such a work ethic and they're always looking at how to improve their craft and elevate their art. And Taylor's totally like that, you know, take the feedback. How can I use this to improve my music? What can I do? You know, and it's, it's, it's really cool to witness. It yeah. is. Yeah. I, you mentioned you showed the cut to her family. I noticed her brother's not in the film. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if there was anyone or anything else that didn't make it in and yeah. the tough cuts you had to make, anything yeah. that you were like bummed you had to sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, there was so much great songwriting stuff, and it was really I'd watch heartbreaking. All of it. I know. I Can at one point there was a forty-minute long version <laughs> oh. of the only the young scene, oh, just wow. the one song. Cool. And I I was like thrilled watching that. Like I didn't get bored at all. But um. Yeah, that was a big one. I also really enjoyed just these more mundane passages. Like, you know, the scene when she's in a silver disco ball dress. She's about to go out to the red carpet. 
And she actually did this long walk, like, she had to go, like, through a basement and through an industrial kitchen and a utility area, like, all of these kind of areas in the basement of the building she was in before emerging onto the red carpet. And I loved that contrast between the most glamorous thing and the most unglamorous thing. We just didn't have time to do a whole, like, 10-minute walk to the red carpet. So in the end, we encapsulated that with a single shot of her, like, in an elevator. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I also, like, you know, there's just a lot of stuff about Taylor that's alluded to, but not actually in it. Like, Mm. not a lot of, like, hanging with famous friends. Mm -hmm, Like, I mm -hmm. liked that Abigail's obviously a famous, Mm -hmm. if you've been a Taylor fan for a long time. (laughs) But it's not like she's with Gigi Hadid or any of her other friends. I didn't want to do, like, I feel like there are a lot of celebrity and pop music documentaries that are kind of like, it's like a potpourri of moments from a year in their life. And they're, like, put in the ball and shaken up and then just thrown out there. Yeah. And I really wanted to tell this story that hadn't been told before of a good girl deciding to speak out. And I saw that as a story. And the moments with friends that are in the film are, you know, a part of that, a small right. part of that. But, you know, if, if you go too much in just like day in the life sort of thing, I think it detracts from the momentum and the power of this change that she went through. Right. Right. Interesting. Well, Lana, it's been so great talking to you. You too. I can't wait for more people to see the film, and good luck with the rest of Sundance. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Jam Session, a part of Ringer Dish, was brought to you by AT&T, reminding you that when it comes to wireless networks, just okay is not okay.